back again listening in to Blaze Radio on blazeradioonline.com. High noon on a Monday. Who are we? And the, what are we here for? We're the Review Squared. I, I'm sorry. I mean, hypothetically speaking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at this point, what's the difference, really? The line of it is the, you know, the kind of line... Uh, the line you have, like in fiction, or, or no, if you're at a play, you know, the idea of the fourth wall in theater. Yeah, it's kind of that. How so? Can you uh, elaborate on that? I'm actually really interested. No, no, no. I mean, it's not just theater, but I'm, I'm using theater specifically because it's the one I have the most direct experience with. Right, uh, right. Because I did in high school. But, like, you know, when you're at a play in the audience, like, you know... And they break like, the fourth wall. But how are we breaking the fourth wall? We are totally in character, perfectly in character. Right, no, but I'm saying the line between the review squared and and uh, hypothetically feels oh. like the fourth wall. Like I'm <laughs> It's not the same thing, but I feel like it's the best thing to compare it it's to. It's a, a very thin line. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I'm very easily and very often broken by us, but I'm Kirsten Dorman. I'm Gideon Karaoke. And this is, in fact, hypothetically speaking, today is a no-bones day, according to Noodle the Pug. Um, Britney's free. It's... Uh, it, I'm sorry, it is a Bones Day. I don't know if I said it was a No Bones Day. You said it was a No Bones I'm Day. I'm sorry. It feels a little like a No Bones Day, but we've got to get our Bones Day game faces on because Noodle has declared it. It is a Bones Day. As I said, Brittany is free. If you want to hear more about what all that entails, you should listen after this to the podcast episode that is now out of the latest on the Review Squared where we go way more in depth about that. But we have some other things to talk about here today. A lot of it to do with the court system. It's going to be a little bit more of a chill episode. Nicole is out doing adult things today. Shout out, Nicole. We miss her. We Love miss her. You. But she is being a girl boss out there in the world where she needs to take care of things. So first up, Gideon, you have our first story here about the Rittenhouse trial, right? Yes, I do. So... At the time of airing on Monday, uh, closing arguments have begun in the murder trial of Kyle Rittenhouse in Kenosha, Wisconsin, according to the Associated Press. The prosecution was questioning whether Rittenhouse was really in Kenosha that night to help, telling the jury that Rittenhouse had no connection to the business he said he was going to protect, was running around with an AR-style semi-automatic rifle, and lied about being an EMT. The prosecutor, Thomas Binger, repeatedly showed a segment of drone video that he said showed Rittenhouse was pointing the gun at protesters after putting down a fire extinguisher, calling this a provocation. The now 18-year-old Rittenhouse killed two men and wounded a third back in Kenosha, sorry, in Kenosha, Wisconsin, back in August of 2020, when he was still 17, during a night of protests against the shooting of Jacob Blake. If convicted on the most serious charge, first-degree intentional homicide, Rittenhouse faces life in prison. The charge of possession against, uh, of a dangerous weapon by a minor was dismissed by the judge, Bruce Schroeder. Def uh, as for that specific argument, defense argued that the Wisconsin has an exception related to the length of a weapon's barrel, but the prosecution arguing that it was a misreading of the statue, and to put a long story short, the judge eventually sided with the defense on that one. I should note that that was the charge that was said to be the most likely to stick to Rittenhouse because... He was, in fact, a minor. He did, in fact, possess a weapon yeah. against the law. It's pretty much not questioned that he was not 
supposed to have that weapon, but he still did. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about this. You know, <laughs> like if he if he didn't have any kind of weapon on him that night, we wouldn't be talking about all this. I don't think. Yeah, of course. And <clears throat> anyway, so supporters of Rittenhouse, who I'm just going to be quite transparent, um, uh, people, we used to just call them fascists, white supremacists, fascist sympathizers. Um, that's what they are. If you are one, uh, walks like a duck, talks like a duck is one, you know, that old uh, <laughs> saying. Um, anyways, so these fascists have called him a hero and opponents have uh, called him a vigilante. Um, video evidence showed the moments where Rittenhouse uh, uh, shot and killed Joseph Rosenbaum and Anthony Huber and wounded uh, Gage Grosenkreutz. So I hope I pronounced that correctly. Um, it should be noted, while this this is definitely related to racial injustice, and we, I guess we could talk a little bit about that once I'm done with this write-up, but... Uh, all of uh, both Rittenhouse and all three of the people shot and the two that were killed um, are all white. Uh, it, it should be noted. And of course, this is bringing up questions about racial justice, vigilantism, second, the Second Amendment right to bear arms and mm -hmm. white privilege. It sh so the defense has mostly been through this trial, which is coming, which is coming to an end over the next day or two. Um, it. Uh, has uh, the evidence, the witnesses, uh, even of the prosecution and the video evidence seems to support the defense's uh, claims of self-defense uh, on Rittenhouse's part. Uh, yeah. Anyways, but be partly because of this, prosecutors are asking the judge to let the jury look, consider lesser charges if they acquit him on all the original counts, and uh, Schroeder, the judge, has already agreed to do so this morning. So, yeah, it there's a lot more here, but I guess we can talk about some of the broader points. Um, sure. So one of the broader points I think that I want to bring up quickly is a lot of people have been debating what his intentions were in coming there that night. And a key piece of evidence that was excluded from the courtroom was actually a video of Mr. Rittenhouse essentially outside of, I think, a CVS or a Walgreens, something along those lines, outside of a store expressing the desire to legally kill someone, basically, um, to shoot someone. And um, that, like I said, the judge in this trial hadn't allowed it in as evidence, but a lot of people have pointed to that and said, well, he, clear he very clearly wanted to, he had some kind of fantasy um, in regards to this, which I think is... It's interesting to me that that was not allowed into court as evidence, because from what I understand, generally um, prior offenses or prior convictions are not not often allowed in as evidence um, or not often considered as like an indicator of guilt. But this wasn't a crime or a prior conviction. So, yeah, I'm not sure about the exact point there. I, I should it should be noted while I am a law and policy student, I am a not a lawyer and b not an expert. Um, yeah, and neither uh, am I, and I'm so. not even a law or policy student. <laughs> so, so. Um, and, I'm just someone who did mock trial in high school. <laughs> uh, but, just a former debate kid here. Yeah, I guess a couple of things. I just I I, I don't want to beat this horse dead, um, but uh, I do want to say before we you know kind of talk about some other things on the, I feel like it's important to discuss this. 
is a couple of different things uh, that should that I think should be noted in any criminal trial, any case um, in this country. Um, is one law and morality are certainly not the same thing. There's a unholy list, long list of things that are perfectly legal, that are absurdly against any, any, any definition of moral conduct that isn't just straight up from the pits of hell, so to speak. And I feel like that's a really important point to make, especially in this trial, because I'm going to be honest with you, if you were listening carefully to what I was saying, it looks like he's about to get not guilty on just about everything. It looks like that that is what is going to happen. We will see, but that is the most mm -hmm. likely outcome. Many just... people have pointed to the judge's demeanor throughout this uh, throughout the proceedings thus far um, as really strong indicators that that might be what ends up being the case. Um, the judge, pretty uh, like pretty well known. Um, by now that he essentially chewed out one of the prosecutors. Um, I think it was for his style of questioning or something along those lines. Yeah, I don't remember that exact instance, but yeah, there, there's been a lot of weird things coming out of this, and I'll, I'll just bring up another one that I did hear of, uh, and there's a video of this, like uh, the Judge Schroeder um, was opening the uh, trial on a Thursday mm -hmm. for another day of proceedings, and asked, like, are there any veterans in the room? And then, like, one of the prosecution... No, sorry, one of the defense witnesses um, that was going to speak that day, and I, it should be noted, the jury was in the room when this happened. And, you know, the, uh, the uh, defense witness raises his hand, like, I'm a veteran, and then they start applauding him, which is just... In, like, I could not make this up. And the th worst part about this is for all of you going, like, this is horrifying! This is awful. That brings me into point number two. So I already mentioned the law is not morality. Not at all. Second point is, welcome to the United States, um, my friends. This is how our legal system works. It's pretty evil. It sucks. It, it, like, to call it, like, I, like, to call it a criminal justice system is an insult to the very idea of justice and is, in my view, basically mocking God by by calling it justice wow i i don't know it's it's so tough to even speak on this because a lot of people have i don't know i'm sorry i'm out of thoughts it I don't know that there's a whole lot more to say. Yeah, no, it, <laughs> honestly, it's, it, su it sucks. It's it really... incredibly frustrating because at the end of the day, I've seen it said this way, where was he being attacked when he shot the people he shot? Yes. Would he have not been attacked had he not been there? Also, yes, he would not have been attacked had he not been there. Um, I personally think that it's worth looking at his motivations in going there that night, um, especially because he defends his presence there and his presence there particularly with a weapon um, by saying that he was there to protect property, but then he says he's there to provide medical aid, um, and he's made some really odd claims about being an Arizona State 
university student, oh, actually. Yeah. Actually, I'm going to, we should talk about that really briefly. We should. I, um, the state press, um, which is uh, far better than their mainstream um, media counterparts, call, counterparts uh, <laughs> um, actually did some pretty good coverage in this. So they did investigate this yeah. with the university. The university said he is not a. He claimed to be a nursing student here at ASU. He is not. Mm-hmm. He is a. He's getting credit online. I believe he's a non-degree seeking. Um, st- yeah, it says right here he's enrolled as an online non-degree seeking student, which um, is a status that essentially allows students to take, like you said, individual courses and transfer them into credit. Um, And so that'll provide like prerequisites for a desired program. So he may be wanting to be a nursing student, but he's not enrolled in the nursing college here, in the Edson College. Yeah, that that is correct. Um, And yeah, the state press did a really good job covering that. which I can say the coverage of Rittenhouse uh, and the trial has been a national embarrassment, but nothing surprising, um, because that kind of leads into the second part of what I was going to say concerning, you know, our quote-unquote criminal justice system, that being a misnomer at best, um, is anyone who thinks that that this system that we live under is going to convict somebody who is upholding its interests. And let, okay, I'm not going to come on Blaze Radio and lie to you, the listeners at home, about how, about how things work in this country. The fact is, is Kyle Rittenhouse doing violent defensive property is perfectly within the American tradition. In fact, it is the American tradition. It's white supremacy. He was defending white supremacy. Like, we can go into the, you know, like, and I think uh, that's yeah. where the sticking point is in a lot of discussions, because there's a lot of people who would say, well, how do you know this? How can you prove this? Oh, shut up. I, I, I urge and... all those people just to <laughs> shut up. It's like you think like go, like I think as somebody okay, I can just tell you going into my own personal experience. Right. You know. Those of you who don't realize, I'm black. Um, for Whoa, those of you really? Who, who did? Yeah. Whoa. For those of you who don't know me, at least. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Those of you who just know my voice. Um, but like, it's like I grew up in a really, really predominant, like heavily white community out in the outskirts of uh, Phoenix, mm-hmm. and it's like I've been hearing this nonsense my entire life. Don't play this game. I know you. I know my whites. Mm-hmm. Come on. <laughs> I think. The reason I bring it up is because um, it's a very easy deflection to make, but deflecting doesn't solve things. No, it doesn't. And it's because the people deflecting don't want to solve the problem. They think the problem is good. Right. They actively have given themselves over to the evil of white supremacy. And to those people, I urge, I really do sincerely from the bottom of my heart, urge you repent because it it just, just, what you're doing is just evil. Right. And I mean, if you're in this position, not because you have like active malice within you, but because it's easier to be complacent, I'd really like you to sit with that. Just personally, I'd really like you to sit with the idea that you're okay with remaining complacent to a system that kills people. Oh, yeah. No, it's Um, it's, it's murderous. (laughs) This is murderous. And the thing is, is what Rittenhouse did and that kind of leads into my next point what Rittenhouse did is once again perfectly within the American tradition he's going to get away with it and then to everyone who's like well this is completely wrong to which I'm like yes but do you think that the same system like 
we cannot ask a system designed like it is working it is not the system is not broken it is functioning at perfect tip top prediction this is not broken and people need to sit with that like this is yeah. we're not going to dig ourselves out of the out of the incredible ditch called white supremacy by you know, doubling, by pretending we're not there. Yeah, by pretending we're not there and saying, well, we can just use the same tools that built it to destroy it. And it's like, you're insane if you think mm. that's possible. And I think the a lot of the denial comes out of a sense of guilt. If you are someone who doesn't agree with white supremacy, and I hope you are, um, <laughs> and if you're someone who doesn't agree with a system that treats people like this, you don't necessarily hold like personal responsibility for a system that does this to people until you become complacent or until you begin defending it exactly you should not feel bad uh for something that you're not perpetuating and if you do feel guilty or defensive when we talk about things like this that's also something i think you should sit with exactly it's 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 simply not my job to coddle you, the listener at home, about this. I'm, I'm just going to... It would be against every single ethical and moral principle I hold to to come on air and just keep on saying, oh, the system is broken. This this is a terrible result. Mm-hmm. We can fix it, guys, by just doubling down on... It's like, no, we can't. Right. And you may be wondering, where is this tangent coming from? How does this relate to the Rittenhouse trial? I'll try and sum it up for you very quickly. Essentially, it's well-known and well-documented that in the modern day, black people and people of color are sentenced more harshly and convicted more often of the same crimes, even when socioeconomic factors are controlled for. It's it's a statistical fact, and I, I hate being the person to be like it's a statistical fact. But it, like I said, it's well documented, even when controlling for socioeconomic factors, that this is what happens. Exactly. And this is what's at play here, in my opinion, in my view, where if Rittenhouse essentially gets away with murder, because he did kill people, there's no arguing that. Right, Whether yeah, or yeah. not he did it in self-defense, yeah. he, you know, he, he still killed people. Right, yeah, like, and there's no question. The, the question of did Cal Rittenhouse commit homicide is not the legal question. It's not what's this- on the table. Yeah. But what's on the table here is if Rittenhouse was not white, would we be sitting here saying, oh, yes, he will most likely walk away free out of that courtroom? Oh, if Rittenhouse were black, th- you would hear people asking to give him the death penalty. I'm almost certainly willing to bet this. Um, right. And that's the point of the tangent that we just had, essentially, where it's it's a broader comment on a system that is not built, like Gideon said, to support the very American values or the ideal American values, rather, of liberty and justice for all. Ex- if yeah. you really consider yourself a patriot or an American, you should be in favor of those things. And if you're not in favor of those things when they are extended to black people, when they're extended to people of color at large, maybe you're not as American as you think you are. Or actually, I'd like to, uh, 
I'd like to take the slightly different tack of, unfortunately, they are too American in the worst, in, in the most... In the evil, worst way. In the most evil and irredeemable ways possible, and it's like... And in, so in that way, you are the worst of us. Congrats. And, um, if, you're, if you're someone who's going to defend a system that is actively doing harm... Yeah, and I guess it's worth... This is oh, a very opinionated episode. It is, it is, it is. But it's like, um, unfortunately, this is just this is just the cold, hard truth and I cannot right. come on air and withhold this from you and, and call myself anything resembling an honest person. Right, and I feel the same. I think this is something that we struggle with a lot as journalism students in general um, or as journalists in general where it makes you a little nervous, or at least it makes me a little nervous at times to talk about these things on air, because it's drilled into us really hard that you shouldn't have opinions, you shouldn't think XYZ, or if you do, you shouldn't say it. Right. But it's I like... would be remiss if I wanted to call myself an ally, if I wanted to call myself a good person, <laughs> really, um, not to say anything when it comes to stories and situations like this. You can put aside personal feelings and do good coverage on topics like this but it's still important in my opinion to speak up when it comes to stuff like this and to speak the truth to speak truth to power really exactly. when it comes to systems like this especially on air um and you know if i don't get hired somewhere because a a hiring recruiter or whoever happens to listen to this if you think that I'm in the wrong for standing against a system that oppresses people, I don't think I want to work for you. Yeah. Uh, and that's all. That's all I, I have I'm to say a, about that. I'm not that. a journalist, but I 100% agree with you. Um, and actually, uh, I want to get back to that in a second. One last point I do want to make that I kind of started going down but didn't finish, um, and I'll make this really quickly, is uh, if you've been following any lawyers, any criminal defense attorneys... Uh, during this trial, almost all of them will tell you that, yeah, this is an average state court and will tell you horror stories about the kind of nonsense that judges, so-called respectable, uh, mostly men, but not entirely, of course, um, yeah, respectable people in robes, you know, who we give so much deference to. It's like, and a lot of them are just hacks, like transparent hacks, um, and that what this judge is doing is like, you know, scratching the surface here. You can, once again, if you follow any attorneys uh, on social media, I recommend paying attention, criminal defense attorneys, I p recommend paying attention to what they're saying here because a lot of them are telling the truth here and the truth that uh, about our criminal justice, well, quote unquote criminal justice system. I think it's better called the criminal punishment system. At least that's being accurate. Um, yeah, the, um, but yeah, what we claim is a criminal justice system, uh, like, guys, it's so much, you, however bad you think, you might think it is, take it a notch further, It's because uh, it's worse than what you think it is. Um, lots of horror stories floating around. And kind of, okay, so before we move on, I do want to add to what you were saying, Curse. I just wanted sure. to make sure I tied up that point. Sure, sorry, I'm, yeah. I'm just double checking my notes for our next story, which is also heavy, and we'll try to get through it respectfully as quickly as possible, but... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, technically, the next half hour is Nicole's DJ shift. Oh, and, true. And, and we are guests on that DJ shift. Yes. Um, <laughs> anyways. Uh, Thanks, Nicole. We love you. Um, but what you were saying, I think, reminds me of uh, 
comments I saw from Wesley Lowry, who's a he's currently I think with CBS News. Okay. Um, but yeah, he used to be at the Washington. He was at the Washington Post for a very long time. Um, for yeah, for a couple of years, and he kind of talked about the difficulties he had there. Um, Lowry, it should, should be noted, is a black journalist, um, and you know he like he talks a lot of focusing more like objectivity as a method, as trying to figure out the truth as best as we can possibly obtain it. But unfortunately, most mainstream journalism focuses less on that and more on objectivity of the person, which is something that just does not exist. There is no objective people. There's not a single person born that does not have a particular perspective. And what he's saying is objectivity and the principle of you try to seek the truth as as best as you can get it, Mm -hmm. like as the whole truth. Like, that is good. Like, an objective trying to, you know... Right. Seeking the truth, even if it makes you uncomfortable. I'm firmly of the belief that if you see something that makes you say, oh, yes, this confirms what I already feel or know, quote-unquote no, <laughs> yeah. um, you should be extra critical of it. You should be willing to examine it a little extra and look at it with a skeptical eye because... I don't know. Confirmation bias is a thing. Oh, it is 100% a thing. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I just, I think about that one a lot. Uh, and I think that's, I think uh, as somebody who is kind of more adjacent to journalism than a journalist myself, I do think that is something I would urge my journalist friends to think about a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think... That wraps up our first story a whole 25 minutes later. Um, You know, I think it is worth talking about, though, because these are issues that a lot of people are uncomfortable with. And if you're, again, if you're uncomfortable with it, I know we have invited you to sit with a lot today, (laughs) Um, but I think it's necessary because really, as an individual, if these things make you feel guilty or uncomfortable or defensive you know, maybe that's something you should question. I think that's what I mean when I say sit with it. Kind of in your in your mind, like poke at it, prod it, examine it. You know, we don't all start out as good people. We sometimes get caught into things that make us not the best versions of ourselves. And that's not necessarily something to be ashamed of so long as you're willing to work on it. And so there's that. <laughs> um Uh, our next story is not much lighter or brighter. We're going to talk about the, some of the updates and goings on just in terms of testimony and things in the Ahmaud Arbery case. And if you're not familiar, um, we've talked about it on this show before. I'd be shocked if you weren't familiar with this case. It captured the nation, honestly, and for good reason, Um, Essentially, three white men are currently standing trial for the shooting death of Ahmaud Arbery. Um, This was back early last year. Um, And one of them, during testimony, Greg McMichael, said that they had the 25-year-old, quote, trapped like a rat before he was fatally shot. And a police officer testified to that um, on Wednesday during the proceedings. So... 
Greg and Travis McMichael, who are father and son, had essentially, this is kind of the Cliff's Notes, like the ultimate abbreviation of this case, but they essentially armed themselves and chased Arbery. This is another instance of kind of vigilanteism in a way. Um, they chased him in a pickup truck after they had spotted him running in a coastal Georgia neighborhood back in February of last year. And then a neighbor of theirs who also, like, from what I understand, sort of knew the two. His name is William Roddy Bryan. Um, he also followed in the pursuit in his own vehicle and took a cell phone video of Travis, Mis of Travis McMichael shooting Arbery. They struggled, and then he shot him three times at close range with a shotgun. Um, for a more detailed summation of this case, you can look just about anywhere on the internet. You can look at a previous episode of ours wherein I go into more depth on like the details of this interaction um, only necessary details, nothing graphic, but it is important to note that months went by without any of these people facing charges for anything that happened that day. And it essentially took national attention and outrage from the video going viral to get that to happen. And the video was leaked. It wasn't even released. It was leaked. Um... Superior Court Judge Timothy Walmsley allowed the jury to be sworn in last week after prosecutors objected, saying several black potential jurors were excluded because of their race. And this is all coming from the, the Associated Press, the AP, um, which left only one black juror on the panel of 12. The county where this trial is being held is nearly 27 percent black and... It's been a hotly contested part of this trial because this is also clearly very, very, th this is almost inarguably a racially charged crime. Most I people see it that way because really what the McMichaels said was their motivation for uh, following Arbery that day was... So this, actually, this testimony did change. Um, a police officer testified, I believe, on Tuesday that Greg McMichael had at first said that he had seen um, Arbery breaking into houses over, like, surveillance footage, um, I think every third or fourth night were his words, I believe. Um, and then later that day at the police station had changed his story to say that it was just an unoccupied house that was currently under construction that he had seen a few clips of Arbery supposedly being in um, and just kind of walking around in. And so he felt that essentially that he had license to become a sort of vigilante. He's a former police officer, it's important to note. Um, and just... I guess, chase this person with guns and expect the, him to be willing to talk. <laughs> and I mean, to be quite honest, once again, you know, I'm not getting into the legal questions here, but I'm, I'm focusing on the moral ones that, that the moral questions here are damn clear. And the, and the verdict morally is clear mm -hmm. that in fact, that this was vigilanteism and that he didn't want to talk. He wanted to shoot somebody. Right. That's how it seems to me as well, just because I know personally when I want to talk to someone, um, maybe around at the station, someone hasn't been like following studio rules, right? I wouldn't approach them with a weapon <laughs> or chase them. I might just walk up to them and say, 
hey, do you mind if I talk to you for a second? You know, like a like a normal person would. Right. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, no, I'll let you finish. No, that, you... that's that's all. Like no, you know, that's it. Oh. you you can't expect a good reaction out of that, really. But uh, the rest of this that I have in my notes as far as, like, updates to the case um, and court proceedings and things like that that you should know about, uh, basically, um, as well as this, a police officer testified that he had planned to give Mr. Arbery a trespass warning for repeatedly entering that same home that I mentioned just before that's been under construction before he was chased and shot dead. So... He was just going to be giving given a warning for trespassing. Um, and for those of you saying, oh, well, why would he be in an, you know, under construction house? Why would he be doing this? It's pretty normal, actually. Yeah, that's like, <laughs> isn't this a thing that people just do? This is a thing that people make YouTube careers out of, actually. Yeah. They will go and film themselves walking through houses that are under construction, um, usually just to because they're curious about the layout of the house or what kind of materials are being used or how quickly the progress of the build is going, things like that. This is something that people are naturally curious about. Um, and really, it doesn't matter why he was there. He There's no evidence of him committing a crime while he was there, except for the, I believe it's a misdemeanor uh, <laughs> to trespass in that part of Georgia. And so the, that was the worst he was doing, which these same people who make their YouTube careers out of are doing that, too. And so it's... Yeah. And, you know, once again, it's like not a single thing here surprises me. Nothing. Like, not... Yeah, not, unfortunately. This is, this is... And it's like... And you might be... And some of you at home might be like, oh, my goodness, that's horrifying. But it's like, no, I'm not surprised by... Not a single thing that has been said by Kirsten or a single thing that I've learned about this child outside of here has surprised me. In fact, quite honestly, I'd be surprised if they get convicted for anything. Um, is That's how little confidence I have. Because once again, this system we live under was not created with to preserve my humanity and, and the humanity of other black folk. This is... The system working as intended. If they get off scot-free, it's it's another day that ends in Y in the U.S. of A. And it's... No, and, and you might say that sounds incredibly pessimistic and dark. And it's like, yes, it is. It is, but it's unfortunately the way things are. And I haven't been proven wrong yet. So mm. it's unbelievable. No, in fact, people who, are, who know me a little better might be able to tell you that I'm far more of an optimist than you think I am. <laughs> um, and, like, I've frequently... A lot of the times I'm wrong about things, it's because I'm too optimistic. And, yeah, that is... That's sobering, really. And uh, one more thing that I will note, it came out pretty recently, but um, the one of the defense lawyers at this trial, um, his name is Kevin Goh. Uh, like Van Gogh, it seems like it's spelled. Um, he is representing one of the three men who are being charged in uh, Arbery's death. Um, he's representing Brian, William Roddy Brian. And um, he has had some interactions with the judge that have made headlines as well that I think would be interesting to quickly note. Um, he had requested a mistrial um, because Ahmad's Ahmad Arbery's mother reacted to a photo of her son being shown in court with what's been what's referred to in the coverage I'm looking at as an emotional outcry. Um, but the judge noted that 
the emotions there are neither unreasonable nor unexpected and denied that request for a mistrial. And as well as this, he had asked for a civil rights leader um, whose name is Jesse Jackson to be essentially kicked out of the courtroom, to which the judge also abruptly turned down that request. He said, at this point, I'm not sure exactly what you're doing. It's almost as if you're just trying to keep continuing this for purposes other than bringing it to the court's attention. And I find that objectionable. That's uh, coming straight from the mouth of Judge Timothy Walmsley. So it seems like this is also going to be one to keep an eye on, um, just aside from the high-profile nature of the case. Yeah. I'm trying to be optimistic about this one. Uh, yeah, once again, I've made clear my thoughts on the American court system and how, mu how, much, it, uh, how much it grinds people uh, to dust and does not care a single iota about the humanity of black people. So We not, could do really yeah. several episodes just talking about that. Yeah, it's, once again, my friends, the system ain't broken. It's working perfectly, absolutely perfectly, and I, I'm just going to need you all to sit with that. And I guess to kind of, on the last thing is, well, if you're going to sit, if you're sitting with that already and going like, damn, this sucks, well, I can tell you whatever the solution looks like, it's not a doubling down on this, and you, you, you think hard on that, I guess. Hmm. Just to kind of decompress, we have a couple of quick, um, a couple of quick entertainment stories coming up. Some things that you can look forward to watching, hopefully during the holiday season. Um, in between, kind of as we said, sitting with all these heavy things, try and get into the holiday spirit a little because it is, in fact, Christmas time. I will not be taking criticism. I'm right. You're wrong. Um, <laughs> anyways. Unfortunately, Nicole is not here to talk Marvel and all things in that regard with us. So this week, we're switching gears a little bit to talk about, first of all, the first Asian American Muppet. Her name is Ji Young, and she's made her debut earlier, I believe this week, right? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, she's... Uh, actually, sorry, I need to pull this up. Uh. Sure, she's the first Asian American Muppet in the Sesame Street canon at all. And Sesame Street has been on for 52 years. So, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> um, uh, a really cool thing about her name is uh, that... So, um, looking here. So, her name, the Ji and Young, they both mean essentially... Like, Ji means, like, wisdom and, like, being smart, basically. And then Young, I think... <sighs> Let brave, me double check. Courageous and, or brave or courageous and strong. Exactly, which is so cool. Yeah. Such a perfect name. Um, and I think it's a really cute puppet, actually. I saw a picture of her with uh, Ernie from yeah. Ernie and Bert. Yeah, yeah. So cute. <laughs> yes, it, yes. It's so really cool. Um, also, funny fact, um, G also means sesame. Aw. <laughs> so she's perfect, basically. <laughs> yes, Uh yeah, so she's only seven years old uh, and has t uh, Korean American and has two passions rocking out on her electric guitar and skateboarding. She sounds like someone I would want to be friends with if I was seven. Oh, yeah. Um, she sounds like someone I might want to babysit at my current age, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, but 
her existence uh, from reporting in the AP is the culmination of a lot of discussions after the events of 2020. Um, as you all, I would hope, are aware, there were a significant number of anti-Asian hate crimes and things like that. They still happen, by the way. Just because 2020 is over doesn't mean that racism is over, unfortunately. But uh, Sesame Street... Uh, according to this reporting, said they kind of reflected on how they could, quote, meet the moment. And they have done so with the, in part, with the development of this character, um, which is really awesome. They also say they established two task forces, one to look at its current content and another to look at its diversity. They developed a thing called Coming Together, which is a multi-year initiative addressing how to talk to children about race, ethnicity, and culture. Another um, result from this passion project, I guess, or this project in general, has been their uh, first ever black puppet as well, or uh, black no, no. muppet. Sorry, not the first. Not the first black muppet. Um, he's one of the first to talk about racism, though. Oh, Okay. Sorry, I misunderstood they did, that. They did that years ago. Um, actually, f really fun fact about Sesame Street, a, a lot of people don't realize this. A, a lot of what, the, the kind of things Sesame Street came out of was trying to improve educational outcomes among uh, kids in Harlem, in New York City. Oh, okay. That's why it's always been so absurdly diverse from the start. That makes sense, uh, which is a good thing. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, I didn't realize. So he's the first one to talk about subjects like racism, which honestly, a lot of people there's we've had this conversation before. There's a lot of people who feel like you shouldn't tell kids about racism or you shouldn't try to educate them about racism. But really, it's like <laughs> Gideon's laughing <laughs> so hard. I get so stupid. Because <laughs> I mean. A lot of children of color have to deal with racism. Like, they don't get a choice. Yeah, exactly. I, like, come on. It's like, for as long as I can remember, there's been, like, incredibly racist things people have said to me, the way they've acted around. It's like, it's like if I... If I'm, you know, old enough to experience racism, your little, your little boy Johnny's old enough to learn about it. Sure, and I think it's also worth... Like, teaching kids, in my opinion, like, hey, there's people who look differently than you and people who have different traditions than you. And not only is that okay, but that's really good. That's a nice thing. It's a thing that you should be excited about and be excited to learn about. I know yeah. when I was growing up, I had uh, probably one of the more optimal experiences in that way because I have a lot of different kinds of people in just my family um, and things like that. I grew up with a good socialization in that way. And I think it's important for kids in whatever the way that they can get it to be exposed to different kinds of people. I don't know how else to put that. So I think this is a really great way of doing it. And yeah. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a really cool thing. I would like to congratulate Sesame Street on that. And looking forward to all the things they've got coming up next. Uh, they continue to be one of the most impressive children's shows out there. Oh, yeah. If I had any kids or if I was babysitting uh, like I used to back in middle school, early high school, I would definitely pop this on for them. Oh, yeah. It's a good good thing. And then speaking of popping things on the TV, I don't know if that's a phrase people use anymore. I still do, but 
I always feel kind of awkward when I say it around people. Because I, guess, I, I don't know. I've realized since moving out of my hometown, there's a lot of different phrases and things that I use or know. And people are like, what is that? That's so weird. Why would you say that? Yeah, that... It's funny because, like, American English as kind of a dialectical con- as a continuum, like, you know, all the dialects of American English are kind of smushing together yeah. into one generic thing. But there's a lot of things that still hold out, and it's funny when you realize the holdouts on that. Yeah, uh, and that's one of those things that I, I don't know. Um, anyways, it doesn't really matter because we get to talk a little bit about what's going to be on TV for the holidays. Hooray! Because yeah. as I said... It is, in fact, Christmas. No, it's not. Um, <laughs> and this is one thing that you don't have to worry about supply chain issues affecting, thankfully, unless you want to get things on VCR, in which case, or DVD, in which case, good for you, I guess. All the best. Yeah, good luck. Um, so a Charlie Brown Christmas is going to air on PBS and for a three-day window be available for free on Apple TV and... As well as that, there is also a, let's see, what else do we have here? I'm looking at a whole a whole list. On BET Plus, there's a streaming qual or there's a streaming selection titled A Rich Christmas, in which a self-absorbed socialite gets a new perspective on life while she's forced to work at a family homeless shelter. And there is another one on Discovery Plus called Candy Coated Christmas, which premieres, I think, this Friday. Whoop, whoop. Uh, Molly McCook plays an executive whose life takes a detour when she visits the town of Peppermint Hollow. I'm just going to skip ahead. There's a lot on this list. Yeah, Um, it's it's giving very much Hallmark. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of Hallmark movies premiering. Hallmark continues to do uh, their Christmas movies, both the old and new. With, you know, all this. I mean, every Hallmark movie, you know, the beautiful thing about them, there's such a tight formula they're it's, reliable they, they are it's like person in big city goes to small town or something like that yeah. and has some experience where they fall in love and realize the big city life that they were living in isolation wasn't so great it, it, it's very funny but anyways going through some of the other highlights it's a wonderful life uh continues to be on nbc it will be airing at 8 p.m um, prime time uh, on December on Saturday, December fourth, and Friday, December twenty fourth. So, the, those of you who aren't familiar with that old movie, uh, Jimmy Stewart stars as a despairing man who finds value in his life with the help of an inspiring angel, Clarence. Um, the iHeartRadio uh, holiday special um, premieres on the iHeartRadio app, YouTube, and Facebook at seven p.m. Uh, Wednesday, November 24th. I'm going to guess at 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, um, but uh, Mario Lopez is hosting a virtual concert, including Train, Kelly Clarkson, Michael Bublé, and Pentatonix. Michael Bublé, a staple of the Christmas season, really. And speaking of Michael Bublé, that's not the only holiday special he's involved with. He's actually doing his own. Uh, Michael Bublé's Christmas in the City on NBC, 10 p.m. Uh, for those of you... Oh, by the way, if I'm talking about, like, the major networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, if you live in Arizona, subtract one hour. Because, yeah, it, we, we, yeah, we're always... We're always a little bit behind. Yeah. No daylight savings for us. Yeah, no, we use, yeah, Arizona uses the, an hour behind the prime time for the national stuff. Um, oh, yeah. So, Michael Bublé's Christmas in the City is airing at NBC, uh, NBC 10 p.m. or 9 p.m. Arizona on Monday, December 6th and Wednesday, December 22nd. The pop singer marks the 10th anniversary of his album Christmas with music and comedy. For those of you who wanted something a little more formal in the uh, 
in the uh, Christmas special category. Uh, 20 Years of Christmas with the Tabernacle Choir on PBS Monday, December 13th and Friday, December 24th. Uh, you need to check your local listings. For those of you in Phoenix, Channel 8, Arizona PBS is our local station. Yes, yes. Come support it. Yeah. Um, and, and Brian Stokes Mitchell narrates a retrospective of performances by Christian Chenoweth, Audra McDonald, and dozens more artists. Uh, the Tabernacle Choir, for those of you who aren't familiar, it, what used to be called the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. They're the choir at the... Um, and from Salt Lake City that, that that's affiliated with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I've heard they're really good. They are very good. Yeah. Um, if you are into big choirs um, that can sing really darn well, um, recommend watching that. Check your local listings. Yeah. And um, we won't blame you or shame you if you end up singing in the shower afterwards. Yes. Also, if you're a fan of the 1964 version of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, because that's one of my favorites. I had that. I think I had that on VHS when I was little, actually. Um, that's on CBS on Monday, November 22nd. Cozy up with that one. That is yes. a classic. It is a classic. So 8 p.m. if you're outside of Arizona, in Arizona, 7 p.m. Um, and a Charlie Brown Christmas specifically. It's on uh, Apple TV now. It is free if you um, from December 11th to 13th. Okay, so that's that three-day yeah. window. Yeah, and... So, yeah, if you do subscribe to Apple TV, you can watch it now. Um, and it will be on PBS on Sunday, December 19th. Check your local listings. Once again, Channel 8 Arizona PBS if you're Another in Phoenix. Another classic. It's adorable. Yeah. And uh, uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas on NBC, 8 p.m., 7 p.m. Arizona time. Yes, yes. On Friday, November 26th. And d- Saturday, December 25th, Christmas itself. Yes. And so, Yeah, I don't need to explain that movie. I'm definitely going to force uh, my partner to watch that with me. <laughs> I respect um, it. Big, big, big classic. Love that movie. It's just good. Um, the remakes don't always do it justice. I'll say that. Of course. Yes. And uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas is not the uh, Jim Carrey one. It is the 1966 cartoon. Yes. <laughs> it should be noted. The best one, yes. in case you weren't sure. <laughs> Anywho, I think we do got to leave. Uh, yeah, so, yes, I think we've um, wrapped it up pretty effectively. If you are still... Not sure of what to watch. How? Why? Anyways, uh, if you want something better than a Hallmark movie, I will say the proposal with um, I think Natalie or no Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds. It has a similar formula to a lot of Hallmark movies, but it's way, way, way better and really funny. Um, I will have to. I've never watched that one. Um, one one I've watched in the past couple years that I, that I really liked in terms of cheesy Christmas movies was uh, Dolly Parton's The Coat of Many Colors. Ooh, That's a I really haven't good, seen that one. It's a really good holiday special. Highly recommend uh, if they're if NBC's airing it this year. I think it aired As on NBC. they should. Dolly Parton is a legend, and I love her. So yeah. you should do it. You should watch it if it's on. Yes. Um, anyways, we got to go. Thank you so much for listening to Hypothetically Speaking on Blaze Radio and BlazeRadioOnline.com. You can find us on Twitter at Hypoth underscore speaking in case you miss us. And if you want to hear more of us, uh, you can listen to all our backlog of episodes wherever you get podcasts of so Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. Mm-hmm. And we will see you back here in the same place at the same time here in the Bill Austin Radio Studio on Monday at high noon next week. Until then, goodbye. Bye.